You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not reflect those of webmasterradio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of webmasterradio.fm is prohibited. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly. You're listening to the Cyber Law and Business Report, broadcast from Santa Monica, California, home of the Internet Law Center. And you may want to check out our blog. Um, we have a um, – um, we actually um, – ILC um, cyberreport.wordpress.com. We actually have background information on all the topics for today's show. Um, Today we have a great show for you. We're featuring um, Josh Levy. Um, he's with Free Press, and he's going to be talking about Stop Cyber Spying Week. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. But on um, the second half, we have Rebecca Wilkins, and she's with the Institute of Taxation and Economic Policy, also the uh, Citizens for Tax Justice. And she's going to talk to us about Dodgers, and not the not the team that Magic Johnson just bought, but tax dodgers so um we have a great show for you today today's a monumental day in history it's the day when paul revere took his ride to warn the patriots that sarah palin was coming and um so but do we have josh levy with us yes hello hi josh thank you for joining us actually josh you're in massachusetts aren't you yeah we're in western massachusetts in northampton beautiful Uh, that that would be a long ride (laughs) (laughs) yeah it would i think it would take a few days back in that time yeah, the horse would get a little bit tired. But um any event, thank you for joining us. Now Josh, um you're the um you're with um Free Press and um you're their internet director. Um and Free Press is part of a, a broad group, a coalition of of interest groups that have formed to launch Stop Cyber Spying Week. And can you tell us what that is? Sure. Uh, we joined uh, with a lot of our friends, including uh, the folks at the Electronic Frontier Foundation, the ACLU, 
of VAWS, which is an international activism group, uh, and others to stop a bill that's called the Cyber Intelligence Sharing and Protection Act, which is known as CISPA. And this bill would uh, grant uh, sweeping powers to the National Security Agency and other uh, government agencies to spy on what we're doing online and to capture all of that data and information and search through it as they wish without us being able to do anything about it. And and the core of the law uh, would actually make it easier for websites like Facebook, Google, and others to share the information that they have about us with the government without uh, any blowback happening from either in a legal sense or from the public because the public wouldn't necessarily know about it. Um, So in a sense, what this does is it it makes – uh, it codifies what the the NSA has been doing for many years with its warrantless wiretapping scheme, uh, collecting information on us uh, and, and using it as it wishes for quote unquote security purposes. Um, what this would do is it would give Congress's blessing to that kind of behavior and make it officially legal. And this goes back to the um, program I think that John Poindexter started in the early Bush years that that got shut down in name only. Um, well, you know, I can't actually speak to that. Um, I think that there are a lot of security schemes and uh, regimes that, are, that have taken root in the last many decades. Um, and actually, this particular bill is just one of many that is floating out there right now. It's 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 just the one that's moving has moved the furthest along in Washington. Uh, there's, we're expecting to see a vote uh, in the in the House next week. Um, but there are others out there. Uh, there, I mentioned the warrantless wiretapping scheme from the NSA, but there are other schemes that have taken place in federal agencies for decades. Um, so this is obviously something that the government does. It doesn't always do it um, transparently. In fact, it almost never does, and it do- doesn't do it in a way in which we have control over what kind of data can be seen uh, by a quote-unquote big brother. So uh, this is really, for us, the first step in trying to protect Internet users from from bills like this and then going forward to give us more control over our data so that uh, even if these schemes are taking place without our knowledge, we have some sort of way to protect ourselves. And um, just so we're clear, we we talked uh, earlier on the show about some of the cybersecurity bills that have been pending, uh, especially the battle in the Senate. Um, going on um, between McCain and um, and Leahy, um, you know, that's a distinct um, subset. You know, that's dealing with um, the government vis-a-vis in businesses and how what to do in the event of a cyber crisis um, or a national crisis of any sort. Whereas this is really strictly about um, the intelligence community interacting with businesses on, on the cyber level. That's right. This is specifically again about agencies like the the NSA. Um, doing what they already do, but making it easier for them to get that information and making it easier for companies like Facebook, which supports the bill, um, to offer up our information without any fear of, of retribution. Now, you, you make an interesting point about Facebook supporting the bill, and then I think you know, right, right off the bat, everyone, you hear a lot of people saying, this is the next SOPA, or this is SOPA on steroids, and it's, it kind of reminds me of the early years after Watergate, where everything was the next Watergate, and um, so one, I mean, with Facebook and several other businesses supporting it, it doesn't really seem to be similar to the, the experience where you saw the internet industry actually you know, being part of the opposition in SOPA. Right. You know, I, I think when people say this is the next SOPA, it's often uh, that, that, that phrase is being used in two different ways. And so, some folks are particularly looking for attacks on 
uh, on uh, people who are accused copyright infringers. But um, that doesn't really exist in this bill so much. There, there is some language about uh, IP, but not a lot. Um, and then others, I think, are seeing more generally that this is yet this is the next attack on the open internet. And um, sure, you could say that this is the, the, an attack in the way that SOPA was an attack um, that had external effects by trying to deal with copyright infringement. But the actual substance of these two bills is pretty different. Um, and you could broadly say that this is like SOPA in that its attended effect is, is one thing, and the actual effect that it would have on how we use the Internet is quite another. It would have both bills would have had a chilling effect on our ability to share information online, and as a result, would have had a chilling effect on our ability um, to, to maintain free speech online. So in that way, they're similar. But one is, is dealing with uh, security, specifically cybersecurity. The other was uh, supposed to be a bill that was dealing with copyright infringement. Um, another way in which you could say that they are sort of similar is that they have raised the ire of Internet users across the country and around the world. And the fact that, as you said, big businesses are actually supporting CISPA in, uh, when they opposed SOPA shows that the business community can sometimes be fair-weather friends when it comes to uh, bills that are attacking the open Internet. And if something is supporting their business interests, then they may stay quiet or they may actually support the bill. And if it's attacking their business interests, you may have them on your side. And, and why do you suppose Facebook is supporting the bill? It makes it easier for Facebook to share the information it's being asked to share anyway. So okay. rather than it dealing with some legal grayness, um, when it when it's being asked to give up, for example, my Facebook profile and, and my entire history on the site, um, this makes it very clear what its legal obligations are and and indemnifies them from any kind of blowback. So they can give up that information without any fear that the legal system is going to catch up with them or that users are going to say, "Hey, you're not supposed to do this. This is illegal." And then the NSA gets to have the information Facebook has, <laughs> since they, they they probably have more than the NSA. Um, now, you said that this would have a, a chilling effect or an inhibiting effect on um, speech on the Internet. And how would that be? What, what part of the bill do you see that causing that? Well, I, it's, it's kind of the, the broad effect of the bill. If right now, more or less, on a wireline connection, meaning not on your mobile phone because the, the mobile Internet is not protected in the same way that your, your wireline connected Internet is protected. Right. Um, you have more or less assurance that the things that you say online, um, you can say without any fear of censorship, without any fear that a corporation is going to block it, and without any fear that if you say the wrong thing, you will somehow suffer the consequences of not being able to connect to a site or having the information that you're giving up come back to haunt you. Um, mm -hmm. But we're going down a road in which those things are not going to be the case anymore. And a bill like this, when you know that everything that you do, every email that you send, uh, even on your cell phone, every text message, even though that's not the Internet, that's covered under this bill as well, um, every video that you watch, every, text, uh, every internet, uh, instant message that you send, all that stuff is being crawled by the NSA. Um, it will have an effect where you won't feel free to say, those, say things on the Internet anymore. If you're having a private conversation with somebody that you realize isn't so private anymore, you won't have that conversation on the Internet. And given that the Internet has become the primary way in which we communicate with each other, or, and is increasingly so for most people, um, that chilling effect is a chilling effect on free speech at large. 
And, and so what we're doing here just in order to stop this bill is actually protecting our ability to speak online without fear that at any moment an agency could say, hey, we just saw what you said and, and we're not so happy about it. But it, it, there's um, – is, is the effect really just be the awareness that you're being watched, not necessarily any difference in the actuality that you are being watched? I think that we've seen – you know, if you, if you look at a parallel example – of innocent people being caught up in no-fly lists, for example. Yes. And they're trying to get on an airplane and say, oh, no, your name's on this list, even though you haven't done anything wrong. Um, that, that, if that were to go to an extreme, would have a, a real effect on people's sense that they can go where they want to. Um, and, in fact, a lot of people have been restricted from, in movement because of no-fly lists, even though they haven't done nothing wrong. Um, if you take that to every Internet user... And, and you see innocent people getting caught up in this net and, and realizing that, hey, wait a minute, the NSA is watching me and may make some mistakes, may see that my name looks like somebody else's name or may, mm-hmm. may think that I'm saying something that I'm not. Um, that is, in a lot of people's opinion, going too far. And it's an infringement on our privacy. It's an infringement on our ability to speak freely online. So that's one of the big reasons why we're all uniting against this bill. And um, it seems you've had somewhat of an immediate effect. Um, already the the sponsors have been backtracking and have come up with, uh, I've seen, I guess, two subsequent drafts. Um, but just for, for listeners, um, the bill, the status of the bill is it has been approved by the House Intelligence Committee, and the, which then is the, the final step before it goes to the floor for a vote on the House. And um, subsequent to that, and with the with your group's um, opposition, they've now released two amendments to the bill um, in in response. And now that the White House is, is putting heat on as well, um, what have, what what has your reaction been to the amendments? Our reaction has been that they don't solve the problem at all, and 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 several in the privacy community have actually suggested that these uh, amendments or working drafts. Uh, serve to make the bill even worse than it was to begin with. So uh, until our uh, issues are, are addressed and, and our concerns are met, uh, we're not going to lay off opposing this bill because the fundamental problem that we're facing here is, again, this transfer of information between uh, private companies and, and national agencies like the NSA. So until there are some restrictions placed on, on what how that information is transferred and our ability to control our information online, um, I don't think that we're going to lay off this bill. And I guess that that, that really does beg the question, is, is can you foresee a circumstance when you would support the bill, given the, the, the direction it's going? No, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think that any of the groups involved uh, are, are thinking about whether or not we can uh, or whether we can support this bill. Uh, the bill is what it is today, and, and, and in that form, we oppose it. Uh, it it's speculation to, to think about what the bill could become, and if it changes um, sufficiently, then, then we will have a conversation about that. But today, we, we continue to oppose it. What, what is driving the bill now? Why now? The argument being laid out by uh, the... the members of Congress who, are, who are introduced this bill and who are supporting it, and then those in Washington who are supporting other similar bills, is that there are security threats online that need to be dealt with immediately. 
And I have no doubt that that's true. And and I think everyone uh, in the coalition groups that's pushing against CISPA uh, respects that. And and I think they they rather than thinking that it's one or the other, that and and, and beyond the fact that that we can uh, protect security without uh, infringing on people's privacy. In fact, when 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 you do create these privacy risks for for individual citizens, you decrease security at large, and I think that there's a way that you can make a bill that uh, makes us more secure and protects our privacy. So uh, we're waiting for something like that to come along, and and we're definitely communicating to to people in Washington that that is the way to go about protecting uh, our security and and, and making us safer, is to also protect our privacy. Now, uh, um, granted, this is a, a relatively new field, and uh, you know we're, we're all starting to get our arms around the issue of cybersecurity. But are we? Are there any other countries that have tried to address that in a, in a manner that's more um, protective of privacy? You know, I can't really address that because I'm I'm not an expert on what other countries outside of the U.S. are, are doing. I do know that this is a struggle for for every country. Um, and, and we've seen particularly repressive regimes like China and others um, take really extreme measures in blocking people's Internet access um, be, for quote-unquote security reasons. And, um, and we know from experience that, that that ends up sweeping up very real activists and, and, and it silences political speech. And that's the worry that we have here is that uh, one person's uh, uh, security is another person's political speech and we need to come up with a much fairer way of dealing with security than, than this bill proposes. And, and, and also we have the, the problem that our history is such that um, when we've dealt with this and other technologies in the past, we, we haven't had a great record entirely. Um, you know, and if you look back to the 50s, and um, you know, we, we haven't always been, we've gone overbroad sometimes. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the 50s is, is, is especially a terrible moment uh, when it comes to our privacy. But you can even look back uh, to 10 years ago uh, in the last decade, uh, and the warrantless wiretapping scheme that I referred to earlier, um, w- for which AT&T was given um, retroactive immunity, you know, because it was voluntarily giving up information to the go- government without telling its users. Um, this stuff is probably happening now uh, with Google and Facebook and, and possibly other companies. And uh, what this is doing, again, is just codifying that behavior. So we've already seen overreach here, um, and, and we don't see a need to make that overreach an actual law so that it's that much harder to stop. Has anyone uh, put Google or any of the other ones on the spot as to whether or not they are doing this? Uh, yes, they have, and, and, and some companies are more transparent than others about what information they give up. I know that Google... Uh, produces a report every year that shows exactly what information is being asked to give up. Twitter has a, has a better record and actually will alert its users when those users' uh, information is being subpoenaed. And other companies have their own policies. Uh, I think Facebook has taken some heat in this for two reasons, because it's, it has openly supported this bill um, and also because it is a huge uh, kind of elephant in the room when it comes to privacy and information that's online. You know, it has uh, it's closing in on a billion users around the world. It has many tens of millions of users here in the U.S. And we recognize the fragility of our privacy when it comes to Facebook and a law like this. And 
in our awareness, the NSA has probably already been crawling Facebook for information. So uh, in addition to stopping this particular bill and other bills like it, I think it's, it's time for us to be more proactive to help protect users going forward so that we don't have to constantly fend off threats like this. Well, Josh, we're going to crawl to a break and just now. When we come back, we'll have Josh Levy. We'll be talking more about the battle against CISPA and the Stop Cyber Snooping Week after this. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. Johnson, what's this mantis I keep hearing about? Do we need to call an exterminator? No, sir. Moby Mantis is our new SMS marketing tool. SM what? SMS. Text messaging. Moby Mantis lets us communicate directly with our customers in real time. We can send promos, coupons. It even lets our customers market for us by sharing offers with their friends online. It's been great for business. Hmm. Sounds expensive. Actually, I sign us up for an extended free trial. It hasn't cost us a dime. Good work, Johnson. I guess the only thing we'll be exterminating is the competition. To get your free extended trial of Moby Mantis, text RADIO to 21691. That's RADIO to 21691 for Moby Mantis. As you know, being an expert at f- <gasps> What did she say? Requires lots of practice and a great tool. Think you could use some help with f- Whoa! You're not alone. Hundreds have used our tool to take their f- performance to the next level the language of course we're talking about managing facebook ads on a quizio oh buy track manage optimize and report on media across all major ad networks visit aquizio.com to get a demo today aquizio search social display one platform cyberspace the final frontier These are the voyages of your new business enterprise. It's ongoing mission to explore strange new domains, to seek out new sites and new monetizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. WebmasterRadio.fm So logical, you'll go out of your Vulcan mind! WebmasterRadio.fm We're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back. This is Bennett Kelly. I have Josh Levy from Free Press. Um, Free Press has been on our show before talking about the battle over net neutrality, and they're in front and center in this battle as well. Josh, I had a question. I went to your website, and... um, you have the uh, the kind of the sign the petition to stop the online spying bill, and actually I do kind of like the graphic. The please wait, we're reading your email. Um, but since you guys have launched this, do you have any metrics for how what the results have been? 
I, I, we have metrics for free press, and we also have, uh, I think, a lot of activity that, that we can talk about uh, across this coalition of groups that we talked about before. Um, for us, I, you know, we're nearing about 50,000 people taking action on this. Um, wow. Many thousands of, peop- uh, thousands of people have uh, used Twitter to, to tell their member of Congress to oppose this bill. There's been a, a coordinated Twitter campaign across all these groups. And then uh, across this coalition, again, of the Electronic Frontier Foundation, ACLU, and others, um, I would say that at the very least we're approaching half a million people taking action. Wow. And I, if I recall, one of the suggestions was to Twitter your member of Congress about everything you do today so they get the sense of the, the amount of data that's going to be um, collected. Well, you know, it's like use data to save data. <laughs> um, <laughs> there, there, there's a cool tool created by the EFF and also uh, by our friends at Fight for the Future uh, that, that allows people to put in a simple phrase of what you're doing, for example, watching, I don't know, reruns of The Muppets on Netflix, and then it will send a tweet to your member of Congress saying, Dear Member of Congress, does the NSA really need to know that I'm watching reruns of The Muppets on, on Netflix? Um, and then with a link to, to take action. So um, Twitter is, a, is an actually a very effective way of communicating opposition to a bill or support for a bill to Congress. And so it's one prong of, of this multi-pronged attack that, that we uh, launched earlier this week. And if people want um, to get more information, they should go to your website at EFF. I'm excuse me, not EFF. I'm sorry. Um, at um, freepress.org. I would go to freepress.net or to savetheinternet.com, okay. which is uh, the site that focuses on all of these internet issues. Now, um, while I have you, um, well, where do we stand on the uh, battle over net neutrality? Is there he- hearing dates yet? Uh, not, not quite yet, but uh, we expect to hear some soon. There, as, as people probably know, um, the FCC passed open internet rules uh, in December 2010, and there were several lawsuits launched in, in reaction to that, including one from us, um, which is uh, pushing the FCC to make those rules stronger and to include the wireless Internet uh, alongside wireline Internet. So um, we're still waiting to hear what the actual timeline is going to be on those. Yeah, it's been some time since the petition was filed. I was, I was wondering when that might happen. That, that is expected to be at some point this year, the arguments. It is. And um, now if... Um, with the few minutes we have left, if, if, if the people want to learn more and get in touch with you, um, what's the best way to do that? Um, the best way, I, I guess, would be to seek me out on Twitter. I'm at uh, L-E-V-J-O-Y. And also, just to go again to freepress.net and savetheinternet.com, you can find me there. You can find many of my colleagues there, and you can learn a lot more about these issues that we were discussing. And, um, well, I want to thank you for joining us, and um, we're going to... Um, transition to our next guest in a few minutes but um please keep us posted and and let us know how this progresses it's uh you know after seeing the response to sopa um we actually had some people involved in the social media aspect of the campaign that it's interesting to see internet activism and and it finally having an effect on capitol hill so um definitely keep us posted and um, i want to hope you consider joining us again absolutely thank you so much for having me Thank you. Well, um, as I mentioned, today is a, a monumental day in history. Not, not only did it begin with Paul Revere's ride, um, and no, he did not warn the Patriots about Sarah Palin, but um, it is also that a number of significant things have happened over time. Today is the anniversary of the great San Francisco earthquake of 1906, and in, in looking at it, there's actually video footage from that era, um, and it's just remarkable. Um, 
if any of you have ever been to Germany, and particularly the town of Cologne, um, which was just devastated by the bombings in, in the war, and, but miraculously there was this cathedral that um, was, was unscathed, um, there were parts of San Francisco that actually looked that way. And, um, and so that's one significant anniversary. Um, it's also the anniversary of Albert Einstein dying, unfortunately. And, um, and it, but more importantly... It is the anniversary of the longest baseball game in history. Um, people showed up, several thousand people showed up at 8 o'clock in Pawtucket, Rhode Island to see the Pawtucket Red Sox play the Rochester Red Wings, which featured um, Hall of Famers on both sides, Wade Boggs for Pawtucket and Cal Ripken for Rochester. And at 4 a.m., after 32 innings, it was still tied. And they um, looked up the curfew rules, and they, they decided to continue it to another day. And the game was finished uh, two months later or a month later, and uh, Pawtucket won. And it was still the longest game in history. So that all started um, this day in 1981. So by this time, we have our next guest. Rebecca, are you with us? I am. Thank you for joining us. Um, Rebecca Wilkins is the Senior Tax Counsel for the Institute on Taxation and Economic Policy and the Citizens for Tax Justice. What's the relationship between the two organizations? Um, the Institute on Taxation and Economic Policy is primarily our number crunchers. Um, they're the uh, folks who do the analysis and data um, Stuff and Citizens for Tax Justice is an advocacy organization. Okay. And um, you know, in terms of the number crunching and stuff, um, you guys have you guys put out quite a few reports uh, on um, you know tax sheltering and, and tax abuse, and um, you just recently released uh, another one. Um, how the big um, the big no tax corporations? Um, you just released a couple about right. two weeks ago, I believe, and. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Well, that report was an update of a major study that we, re- we released in November. The November report looked at the Fortune 500, and it took us over a year to complete that study. And what we found, um, 280 of those Fortune 500 companies were consistently profitable over all three years that the study covered, which was 2008 to 2010. Um, but on average, they only paid a federal income tax rate of 18.5%, which is about half of the 35% rate that um, is provided in the law. And of those 280 companies, 30 of them paid um, a negative tax rate over that three-year period, so they didn't pay any federal income taxes at all, even though collectively those 30 companies earned $160 billion in profits. Wow. And the study that we just released updated the November study. Um, now the 2011 financial statements have been filed with the SEC. And so we looked at whether or not they paid tax in 2011. And again, most of them didn't. Over the four-year period, 26 of those 30 companies still have negative tax rates. And, and some of them are, are very well-known names to our listeners, um, ranging from General Electric, who... I guess their tax rate was negative 45% in 2010 and then negative 18.9% in 11. Um, yes, and, and GE's been, of course, in the news a lot. There have been some articles written about their, their amazing ability to avoid paying um, U.S. income taxes. And so we've been following GE for a long time. And over the last 10 years, um, 
they've averaged only 2.3% in U.S. income taxes. That's incredible. Um, and um, and it seems that the, the, there's a high concentration of energy industry um, players in this in terms of your list of the no-tax people. But it's not exclusively that. I mean, for example, Interpublic is in there, um, Verizon. There, there are technology companies there as well. Um, what is there any common thread um, in what it, what companies tend to fall in this category? Well, the report that we did in November classified companies by industry, and there are some industries that pay a lot lower tax rate than other industries. For example, um, financial institutions, big pharma, um, pharmaceuticals, and high tech tend to pay um, lower rates. Um, the defense contractors pay a very low rate. On the high end, retail companies tend to pay a much higher rate. And I think part of that is because it's much harder to disguise where your sales are when you're a retail company. True. And um, kind of working backwards, before the, the, your, your current report, you did a report um, December on corporate tax dodging in the 50 states. Yes, our November report was on federal income taxes, and then in December we followed that up with a report on what corporations are actually paying in the states. Um, The average income tax rate for corporations in the states um, is 6.8%, but we found, again, that they're only paying about half that. And it's an interesting um, point to raise because last we've had a number of shows where we've talked about what is known as the Amazon tax, you know, um, extending the the quill nexus, so to speak, to include um, um, companies that sell in state through affiliate marketers. And, you know, a lot of what's driving that is kind of states are cash starved. Sure. And here's part of the reason why they're cash starved. Yeah, Amazon's a famous tax dodger. Um, they pay a really low income tax rate, and then they do everything they can to avoid collecting sales tax for states. You know, they don't pay the sales tax. All they do is collect it and then pass it on to the state revenue departments, but they've really been fighting even doing that. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting uh, study because on one hand they say, oh, my God, you can't make us do that. That is just oh so hard. And then they do it every day and the, as the back end for a number of you know, companies like, um, for example, Target. Right. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And so the, I guess, consistency or disingenuousness is not necessarily uh, <laughs> disqualify you in this, in this arena. No, but um, it's really unfortunate to have such an anti-tax bias because, um, you know, I buy things on Amazon occasionally and it, it has nothing to do with the fact that they don't collect sales tax from me. Um, you know, it's all about the enormous number of products that are available and how it's so much easier to find it than trying to, you know, schlep around to all the retail stores here where I live. Um, And I'd gladly pay the sales tax. I mean, that's something, well, Amazon has distinguished themselves as an online community. And, you know, going back to just, you know, for example, suggesting products, you know, they were one of the early innovators in that. And so you're right. I mean, people go to Amazon for a number of reasons unrelated to the, you know, the tax differential. Right. And it's, now, you know, all of these big corporations benefit from 
all the things that we do collectively by paying taxes and having government, um, just like all of us do as individuals. You know, they, they use our roads. They use the court system to enforce their contracts. They use police and fire protection. Um, they use up services that government provides, um, sometimes at a much higher rate than, than other taxpayers do. They also benefit enormously from the research and development that the U.S. government subsidizes. I mean, the government basically paid for the development of the Internet. Right. Um, and so it, it's really, I think, galling to a lot of people that they don't seem to think they ought to pay, help pay for those services. Which I guess would then be a good point to talk maybe a little bit about Apple. Um, there's been a lot of focus on them lately because, one, there was a report that they, they had more cash on hand than the U.S. government. And, and two, that um, they, they, a part of the reason why they, – they, what they're doing is they're sheltering um, their income offshore by more or less allocating transactions to, to foreign IP in, in what probably is somewhat of an artificial way. Um, could you yeah, speak to that? Yes, definitely. So just a little bit of background on how the U.S. system works. If you're a U.S. company and you have operations overseas, you're taxed on your worldwide income, but you don't have to pay tax on your foreign income until you bring that back to the U.S. or until you repatriate it. And then when you do, you get a credit for any foreign taxes that you paid. So if you've already paid tax on it somewhere else at a rate close to what the U.S. rate is, then you won't pay any more tax on it when you bring it back. And Apple, a few weeks ago, announced uh, dividends and a share buyback program, and they specifically said they were going to use the cash that they have here in the U.S., that they were not going to repatriate dollars from their foreign subsidiaries because they didn't want to pay the tax. And what's really uh, amazing about the Apple case is that we can see in their financial statements that their effective foreign rate is only about 4%, which means that the, they're, not in, they're not booking those profits in France or Germany or the U.K. or places that have a pretty um, healthy corporate tax rate. They're booking those profits primarily in tax-saving countries where there is no corporate income tax. Um, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to continue this discussion about the iTax cheat known as Apple. Um, after these messages. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. MySEOTool.com is your all-in-one SEO management resource. MySEOTool.com makes it easy to optimize and oversee all of your SEO efforts. Line-by-line detailed reports help you identify any problems and show you how to fix them. MySEOTool.com is completely automated. Once you use it, you will see a rise in your search rankings and traffic. Try MySEOTool risk-free today. Go to MySEOTool.com. MySEOTool.com. The Web Marketing Association is now accepting entries into the 16th Annual International Web Award Competition. Independent judges from around the world recognize the best websites from nearly 100 industries. Web Awards winners receive an image plaque, certificate of achievement, higher visibility for your company, valuable feedback from our expert judges, and links to your site from the highly ranked Web Awards site. You can't win 
If you don't enter, sign up now at www.webaward.org. Oh yeah, my day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use certifiedknowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. The Web Marketing Association is now accepting entries into the 16th Annual International Web Award Competition. Independent judges from around the world recognize the best websites from nearly 100 industries. Web Awards winners receive an image plaque, certificate of achievement, higher visibility for your company, valuable feedback from our expert judges, and links to your site from the highly ranked Web Awards site. You can't win if you don't enter. Sign up now at www.webaward.org. Webmasterradio.fm keeping you out of rush hour traffic. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back. This is Bennett Kelly. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report, and I have Rebecca Wilkins, and um, we are talking about tax dodgers and not the Los Angeles dodgers but tax dodgers and we're talking about Apple and um, Rebecca I remember in, right after 9-11 Stanley Tools in Connecticut sought to do what is known as the Bermuda inversion um, as to reincorporate Bermuda to avoid you know, millions in state and federal taxes and there was such a backlash about how unpatriotic this company that had been in Connecticut since the 19th century would just do that and you know, this doesn't seem to be much backlash today for a lot of companies. And we were talking about Apple. I know there's some movement to try to single out Apple for being a major tax cheat. Well, unfortunately, all of the U.S. multinationals are pretty aggressive, we think, in offshoring profits to foreign subsidiaries. You know, some are probably more aggressive at it than others. Um, but it just seems to be um, the norm among those companies that they try to play games and accounting tricks and move profits around the world just on paper um, so that they can pay um, very little or no corporate income tax here in the U.S. And they play the same game among the states, too. Um, Right. They move their U.S. income to states that don't have um, an income tax or have a much lower rate. And... um, has, you've, you may have seen some of the, the videos out there with trying to draw attention to Apple in particular. But you get, do you get a sense of it having any traction? I do think that just the whole debate is getting a lot of traction. There's been some press. Um, you know, there's been some articles looking at Apple's financial statements. And, um, for example, there was a, a, an article just kind of pointing out that stuff in the financial statements that, that – sort of indicate that Apple is being pretty aggressive in offshoring their profits. 
um, it pointed out that, you know, 54% of its assets are in, of its plant property and equipment are in the U.S. 69% of its retail stores are in the U.S., and yet they only report 30% of their profits as U.S. sourced profits. Um, most of their research and development is here in the U.S., so the value that they're creating is being done here in the U.S., and, and yet when they file their tax return, um, they say only 30% of their profits are in the U.S., and it just kind of doesn't pass the smell test. No, it doesn't. And um, I don't know if you saw Eric Altman did a really good piece on Apple and Steve Jobs too, and how you know basically he's he's been sainted, um, beatified, and by the business community when in reality he didn't even meet up to um, you know Andrew Carnegie's rule that the man who dies rich um, dies disgraced. And uh, but um, one of the question I had on this is we as we start talking about offshore. Um, shelters. I, I noticed that I saw an interview you gave where you talked about um, the, the presumptive nominee Mitt Romney's use of foreign tax havens. Do you think that's going to be a major issue in the campaign? And well, we certainly hope it is. Um, uh, we are actually pretty happy to see Romney as the nominee because it puts the issues that Citizens for Tax Justice has been working on for over thirty years in the limelight, and people are talking about them. Um, you know, you used to think that using offshore investment vehicles was something only the super, super wealthy did, and you had to sneak money out in a suitcase to Switzerland or something. And with the advent of the Internet and the explosion in the offshore um, tax haven world, a lot of folks are doing it now, not just the super, super wealthy. Um, and... Again, for a U.S. citizen, you're taxed on your worldwide income. So moving something offshore shouldn't keep you from paying tax on it. But if you have it offshore, it's really easy to cheat. You know, it's really easy to not report that income. Because unlike here in the U.S., where our employer sends a W-2 to the IRS and our bank sends a 1099 telling the IRS how much we earned on our um deposit account, the foreign banks and the foreign um, mutual fund companies and um, the private equity firms and hedge funds that are located offshore don't have to send that information to the IRS. So if you wanted to cheat on your tax return, that, that makes it really easy. And you know, I've looked at Romney's tax returns in detail, and he has disclosed all of his um, foreign holdings or at least it looks like he has. And I mean, 55 of the pages in his tax return were just disclosures of transactions with offshore corporations and partnerships and um, trusts. So it doesn't look like he's trying to use those offshore entities to cheat on his personal taxes. But, uh, but I find it really troubling that Bain Capital has recently been putting all of its private equity funds in the Cayman Islands. Because even if Romney and the other Bain partners aren't using that Cayman Islands um, jurisdiction to cheat on their own taxes, they're really making it easy for their investors to cheat. They're facilitating it. Absolutely. And it just and really bothers me to think that they think that that's Okay. You know, I'm I'm here in California. We're home to you know, the Los Angeles Dodgers, but um, 
but also the tech community. And you know, here in California, we're going through budget crisis. We're seeing major strains in our once, you know, very. Um, strong educational system and then you're hearing the tech community say well you guys aren't graduating enough talented people we need more visas from um, overseas so we can bring in the, the people with PhDs or we need to offshore it but then at the same time that they're, they're offshoring the income and not paying taxes so that we can have the educational system that would give them the people they need that's right yeah if they would contribute to the state and federal governments, we could work on things like making sure we have a better education system and that we're helping people earn the degrees that they need and get the training that they need. It's unfortunate. But, yeah, I was, you know, I, I still think back to the Stanley II backlash, but I think that was just such a peculiar period where it was such an old line company and it was so close to 9-11 that um, I don't know if you could have that backlash again. I think a lot of it is just bringing the attention, the issue to the attention of folks. I mean, just what we've seen in the last couple of weeks with the, Amer- the ALEC, um, yes, the Legislative Exchange Council, having a lot of its big corporate sponsors um, pull out, and they they're, they've announced that they're going to change their behavior. I mean, I think the same kind of public pressure needs to be brought to bear on these corporations that are. Um, doing everything they can to avoid paying any income taxes. But it is hard to formulate a, 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 this, this at, at, a, at a mass level. I mean, because one, generally the discussions of taxes tend to generate into yes or no, um, you know, too much or too little. Um, but then when we get into certain nuances, well, they're sheltering offshore. I mean, it's hard to capture people on that. Right. It's I mean, you, pretty, would, you would know better than anyone. It's kind of technical, geeky stuff that, you know, those of us in the wonk world like. But it is, I think, difficult for the average person on the street to wrap their head around. But at the same time, what you guys, I think, do a good job of is when you see that GE has a negative tax rate and, you know, I'm paying whatever, um, then that resonates, I think, with people. I think that's that is where people at least get it. You know, if you know that you paid more taxes um, in 2010 than GE did to the federal government, I think people get that. Um, I think people, when you tell them that GE has, for example, 975 people in their tax department, and um, they're charged with not only complying with the tax laws in all the places where they file tax returns, but looking for tax opportunities. Um, to save taxes everywhere, that's they're supposed to spend half their time looking for those opportunities. And then you look at how much they spend on lobbying and how much they give in campaign contributions to the members of Congress that sit on the tax writing committees. I think you can draw some some lines that people understand. Mm-hmm. Now, I know there have been efforts in the past to limit government contracts to companies that use abusive shelters. Has that ever gotten traction? No, unfortunately, um, that hasn't passed. Uh, the Government Account- Accountability Office in 2008 issued a report showing that um, 83 of the 100 largest companies in the U.S. had subsidiaries in offshore tax havens, oh. as did most <laughs> of the top contractors with the federal government. 
So cutting off our nose is better of our face. Um, we only have two minutes left, Rebecca. So um, if people want to learn more about this issue or contact you, what's the best way they should do that? The best way is to go to our website, which is ctj.org. Um, you can find our November report and the update that we just did on the no-tax paying corporations and all of the issues that we work on um, and get more information about the issues and see what we're up to. Well, thank you very much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. I hope you consider coming back again maybe next April. And um, But to. keep up the good work. Thank you very all much. Right. Thanks for having me. And in the short time we have left, today is also uh, an in, in history, there's another anniversary. It's the anniversary of the Beirut bombing. And it was the largest explosion, a non-nuclear explosion since World War II um, on that day in 1983, and um, which we lost some 200 Marines. And so, um, remember, our thoughts go out to the families of those who were lost. And um, this has been a, a fun show today. I'm glad you were able to join us. Um, this is Bennett Kelly with the Internet Law Center here in Santa Monica. Check out our blog, ilccyberreport.wordpress.org. Excuse me, WordPress.com. Um, we always have you know, updates on Internet law, but also we have details on um, the various um, issues we cover during the show. So it's been a pleasure talking with you today. Um, court is adjourned, and I look forward to talking to you next week here from Santa Monica at the Internet Law Center. Good week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.